There's something unique about human beings that allows us to look around the world and to see something that happens and to see it and claim that it's unjust or unfair, to say that that's not right, that it's wrong, it's evil. Something unique to the way that God has wired us that is, that is central to what it means to actually be made in the image of God that allows us to see right and wrong, to speak out against injustice. A couple of weeks ago, I actually went on a hike with my family and some of our friends. While we were hiking, we were hiking the trails at Stony Creek, and and upon coming to a pond, there were a number of creatures that we found. We actually found um, a number of frogs and a snake. And so naturally, what do you do when you find all those things and you are are well-equipped for exploring the nature? You put them all in the same cage. Right, that's what you do. And so you, put, you get the little snake in there. You get the little frogs in there. Now, while that was happening, there was a thought that ha- went in the back of my mind. Like, what is going to happen when they're all in there? Like, uh, homeschool is about to get real interesting here. Now, what's interesting, though, about that, in the midst of all of that, and you, you put snakes and you put frogs in the same little cage, never for a moment did I think, now that's injustice. Like, there was never a single moment where I think, all right, that is just not right. That's not okay. Now, there was a moment where I'm like, all right, how is this going to play out? Is my three-year-old emotionally prepared to learn about the circle of life? Like, that I wasn't sure of. But never for a moment did I think that is, that is an injustice. We need to advocate for the lives of those, those frogs. Or that, that's not the way we think because it's the, sim, it's the circle of life. It's what happens. At the same time, when you and I can look around our world, there's tragedy after tragedy after tragedy that we can look at things that happen to other human beings and something within us stirs and says, that's not right. We can see a young black man lose his life and he didn't deserve it. We hear stories of the unborn never making it because they're aborted. We hear about women who are sold and trafficked. And there's something that happens within us that says, that should not be, that's not the way this world is. None of us ever say, well, that's just, the, that's just the circle of life. That's just the way it works. No, there's something that God has wired deep within us. He's wired in us that, that stirs up anger and frustration and passion that says, this cannot be, this is not right, it's not Okay. I would suggest that thing within you that gets angered by injustice, that thing that that within you that makes you want to show up at a protest, that thing that makes you want to speak out for the unborn or against racism or the fight trafficking, that thing within you is evidence that there's a God. It's what the scriptures call the imago Dei. It's being made in the image of God. Evidence that there is a God. Without a God, there is no morality. There's no right and wrong besides the collective conscience that we could come with up with. Which I don't know about you, but if I look around the world, I'm pretty confident that collectively we don't have a very good conscience. Yet, it is because there is a God that there is right and wrong. Because there is a God, something stirs within you when you see something that should not be. Justice isn't a political thing. Now, because of politics, it happens to be a part of the conversation and something that we must talk about. But ultimately, justice is not about politics. It's not about the right or the left. We will talk about justice because justice is at the heart of God. Justice is a kingdom of God thing. We'll talk and care about abortion because the lives of babies matter. Not because of politics, but because of the kingdom of God. We will fight against racism Not because of a political posturing, 
but because we're a part of the kingdom of God. We will care about the poor and the traffic and the refugees, not because of political debates, but because we are a part of the kingdom of God. Justice is important to human beings because justice is important to God. And I would suggest that the, that thing that stirs within all of us, that heart for justice, whether you are Christian or not Christian, is evidence that there is a God who fights for justice. That there is a God who is on the side of the marginalized and the oppressed. And all of the scriptures point to it. And so we can think in terms of right and wrong, good and evil, just and unjust, because God has crafted us to reflect what's true about himself. He's designed us as his people, as his followers, to speak out for the vulnerable, to be his image bearers in the world. Today we're continuing our series called The Kingdom Minority. And so we're building on what the prophet Micah says in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He says it this way, this is what the Lord requires of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And so the question we're asking is, when it comes to the political world that we live in, a world filled with division and anger and hatred, what if these things frame the way we think about, talk about, and treat one another when it comes to politics? What if justice and mercy and humility shaped it? How would things change? I would suggest that as the church, the church would then become a shining light in the midst of a dark world. The church would be a place where the division isn't continued, but we in unity can find some things that the kingdom of God together fights for. We would find ourselves loving others. We would find a love for neighbor, a love for enemies, a love for the poor, a love for each other. And so last week we began the series with the idea of walking humbly. That central to what it means to follow Jesus is to have the same attitude and mindset of Jesus, which means treating others as better than yourself. Not taking somebody and using them to your own advantage, but to actually treat them as better than you and to use your position and your influence and your opportunity and to steward it for the benefit of someone else. Today, we're talking about justice. And what it means for us to act justly. And so we're going to have some hard conversations. And it might be challenging. And my hope that it, is that it will be challenging. Because I believe that God calls us as participants in the kingdom of God to fight against injustice. And so for some of you, that will make you uncomfortable. We're going to talk about some things. If you align yourself on the right, there are going to be some injustices that seem like they're from the left. If you align yourself with the left, you're going to find some injustices that seem like they're on the right. Because the kingdom of God cares about all kinds of injustice that doesn't belong to a party. Our allegiance is not to a political party, but it's to the Savior, to Jesus. So I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 1. If you're following along in the Bibles in front of you, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. Now, a little bit of context as we open up to Isaiah that can really help us as we unpack this text. Isaiah comes onto the scene in about 770 B.C. And he comes onto the scene during the reign of two strong Israelite kings, Jeroboam and Uzziah. In the northern kingdom, things are going incredibly well. Samaria is becoming beautiful. It's expanding its borders and influence. Isaiah is serving as Jerusalem's most powerful king since Solomon. Both are growing in power and influence and prosperity. Yet all of this happens, which is why Isaiah shows up. All of this happens as, as the lower classes are experiencing an increase in taxes and social inequities. 
And so Isaiah shows up because he sees the growing wealth and prosperity and influence of the political leaders. He sees the growing wealth and prosperity and influence of many of the Israelites who are propping up those political leaders. And he's saying, all right, you know better as followers of Yahweh to build your wealth and power on the backs of those who don't have. And so he's calling out idolatry and wickedness, injustice and immorality, which is spreading through both kingdoms. And so Isaiah shows up and he's ready to share the message of God. In a time where generally people are pretty prosperous, not all people, but the people, uh, most powerful people are incredibly well off and very invested in making sure they maintain their power and influence. There's an unbelievable amount of political power and prosperity. And because of the growth and because of the trust in that political power, Isaiah has some hard truths to speak into. And so he does. He shows up to speak truth to those in power and to speak truth to the followers of God. And he's saying to them, you may trust to those in power, but your trust is misplaced. Your trust isn't in political power or influence or prosperity. Your trust is in me and should shape your faithfulness to me. And so Isaiah shows up and he's he's, going to call out greed and corruption and deceit. Because for Isaiah, he has no patience for a superficial religiosity that says we follow God, but then doesn't do what God asks. And it's in that context then that Isaiah says this, beginning at the very end of verse 15. He says, your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. And plead the case of the widow. Now, I believe this is incredibly valuable for us in this cultural moment as two major political ideologies in our world compete for power. As many of us can find ourselves even tempted to put our trust in political leaders. Isaiah says our allegiance is to Jesus. To trust Jesus. And we then would do well to heed Isaiah's warnings. Now I love how he starts. Because he starts with this incredible, incredible and powerful truth. He says, he says you've got blood on your hands. But then he immediately makes this statement and says, wash and make yourselves clean. Now this is incredibly important because as Isaiah is calling out justice, he understands that they can all be washed. It is never too late to be washed and made clean. Isaiah doesn't list out a a, a number of injustices and say, all right, if these are your sins, if these are the injustices that that you have perpetrated, if this is you, he doesn't say, well, you can't be washed. He says, no, all of you can be washed and made clean. It's never too late. And so for Isaiah preaching this, there are those who would be in the lower class who would be hearing this, who would be be having this feeling raising up in, in them and hear Isaiah and said, somebody is finally fighting for us. Somebody's speaking up. Somebody is speaking out. And then there are others who, who will come and they, and they hear Isaiah's words and they feel this tension. They feel this conviction because somebody's calling me out. Somebody's calling me out and say, I need to change. Because I've added to the hurt. I've added to the pain. I've added to the suffering of other people. And so for us, the same thing is true. For us, it is never too late to be washed, to be made clean. No matter what the injustice is that we're a part of. And so maybe some of you need to be rescued from injustice because of the things that were said to you or done to you. Things that were out of your control and so you suffer and you hurt. But maybe others of you need to be called out. 
Or maybe there are some prejudices on your heart that change the way you treat another person who looks differently than you. Or maybe the participation in the, in the viewing of something like pornography fuels an industry that, that sells women into slavery. Maybe you've had an abortion. See, the injustices that we participate in, we, ones that we know, ones that we don't even know about. Isaiah says it's never too late to be washed, to be made clean, because when it comes to the kingdom of God, you can't be canceled out of the kingdom of God. Which means if you suffer or hurt at the hand of somebody else, you're welcome in the kingdom of God. If you are the abuser, if you are the perpetrator of injustice, you are welcome in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the one place that welcomes all. He says, so wash, be washed and made clean. And then he says, now, now as someone who's been washed and made clean, now learn to do right and learn to do justice. I want to define two important words when we talk about justice for us. These two words are identity and dignity. The word identity is, is about who you are. Right? You are who Jesus says you are. And so each of us are given a unique identity because of Jesus. The scriptures tell us we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so because of who we are, because of your identity, you then have dignity. Dignity is the idea of worth. So identity is who you are. Dignity is what you, you are worth. And so both of those become incredibly important when it comes to how you understand your value, your worth, your sense of who you are. Because you are God's child, because you are uniquely God's child, you have a dignity that gets displayed in the lengths that Jesus is willing to go to to win you back. As a child of God, you are, you are God's and God's willing to do anything. You are worth fighting for, you're worth loving, you're worth dying for. It's your worth. And so then the question is, well then what does that have to do with justice? I'm glad you asked. I want to define justice this way for us. Justice is borrowing from your worth for somebody who's been robbed of theirs. Right, so because of your identity, because of your worth, justice borrows from your own sense of worth and says, I, I know somebody, I've seen someone who deserves theirs back. And so justice borrows from our own worth for the sake of somebody else. Now there are a couple different ways the Bible talks about justice, which are incredibly important for us. Sometimes justice is described as the punishment of wrongdoings. This would be called retributive justice. And so the idea is, this is what we think of when we think of the justice system, right? There are laws and there are consequences and there are penalties. And so justice is what happened when the guilty gets arrested or the punishment matches the crime. This is often why then people will then protest or speak out to change laws or to change systems. Because in order to have retributive justice, you need, you need the laws and you need the consequences, all of them to play together and work together to fight against evil, now, there's another way, though, the Bible talks about justice, and that's restorative justice. That would be redemptive justice. I would suggest that that's more important for us as participants in the kingdom of God. Because when it comes to retributive justice, all of us, all throughout our world, can speak out and fight for retributive justice. The restorative justice is the justice that is uniquely the role of the kingdom of God. Because we can all speak out and want to change laws and want there to be consequences and that stuff can stir in us and anger us and frustrate us. But retributive, restorative justice is the kind of justice that brings hope. That can bring life into dead places. That can restore somebody who's been hurt. It's somebody who then is in power using their position for the sake of somebody who isn't. It's somebody 
taking their own position and, and reaching out a hand and lifting someone else up. This is the kind of justice that Jeremiah prophesies about in Jeremiah 22 when he says this. He says, this is what the Lord says. Do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Right? So, so retributive justice says, let's make sure the one who, who robbed them gets punished. But, but Jeremiah is saying, are right, you as the followers of God, what I want you to do is I want you to restore hope. I want you to be the rescuer. I want you to rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Fight for that. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. And do not shed innocent blood in this place. But God fights for justice. And God fights for justice because it is central to who God is. All throughout the story of God, all throughout the story of scriptures, we see God fighting for his people. And God fights for his people because he cares about his people. Throughout human history, we see this interesting pattern take place as God fights for justice. God early on chooses the nation of Israel, and so God chooses a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham leads this nation of Israel, and so what happens in the story of the nation of Israel, eventually the nation of Israel ends up as the oppressed. Eventually, Israel ends up sold into slavery at the hand of the Egyptians. And so as God hears and witnesses that happening, God isn't a God who's going to stand back and just let injustice happen. But eventually, God says, I need to do something in order to fight against this injustice. I need to stop that. And so the scriptures tell us that God hears the cry of the oppressed. God hears his children in Israel crying out. And so God then sends a leader by the name of Moses to set the people free. And so then Israel is freed from their oppression, their slavery. But then, as often happens throughout the story of scriptures and all throughout history, is then the people who were oppressed, actually they find freedom and they eventually become the oppressor. And this is then the context that, that Isaiah has and Jeremiah has. Because Israel, in their freedom, they were oppressed, but then they become the oppressor and then begin to hurt other people. Which is why then Isaiah is so furious, because they should know better. They know better than to find their own power and influence on the back of another person. And so we see this pattern all throughout history. And probably even in our own lives. This is why as we talk about something like injustice, you can find yourself in a couple different places. You might find moments and seasons where you suffered at the hand of injustice. That somebody left, that somebody betrayed, that somebody hurt. And so you needed to be rescued. And so you call out, you cry out, God, where are you? God, do something. And then in other moments, you find yourself as a perpetrator of injustice that you have added to the pain of another person. That you mistreated somebody because of how they looked. And so we find ourselves convicted because there are times where we knowingly or unknowingly hurt other people. This is the reason why as a church we will fight for justice. Not because it's a political thing or a trendy thing, but because God calls us to. Justice isn't a right or left issue. It's a kingdom of God issue. And so what we find as, as a part of the kingdom of God is there are a whole lot of injustices that grieve the heart of God. Things like racism. Racism as a church is something that we have to fight against. Being anti-racism matters. Fighting against the prejudices that are in our own hearts matters. Building bridges towards racial reconciliation matters. 
You can't be pro-life without being anti-racism. Right? To be pro-life means to care about all of life. To care about the unborn, to care about black lives, to care about the lives of the trafficked. Right? All of that essential to what it means to be pro-life. Racism isn't a right issue or a left issue. It's a kingdom of God issue. It's the same reason why we will be advocates for the unborn. To walk alongside women so they don't even have to consider abortion to be an option. Why we will fight and encourage adoption. Why will be the kind of place that partners with women so that life can happen. Because a human life is not a right or a left issue. It's a kingdom of God issue. It's why we'll fight to be the kind of place that loves our enemies. It's why we will make sure to be advocates for the refugees, to provide space for them to learn English and to meet in this place. Because it's not about politics. It's about the kingdom of God. It's why human trafficking will be so disturbing to us. Because the selling of human lives is never okay. See, when you know what you're worth, when you know that you're worth dying for, you can borrow from that for the sake of someone else. And I don't know where God is calling you to fight against injustice. Maybe he's calling you to borrow from your worth so that you can be an advocate for black lives. To borrow from your worth so that you can use your voice to say that a young woman's life is worth more than $12 million. Maybe he's calling you to borrow from your worth so that you might fight for the lives of the unborn. To speak out. To speak up. Maybe he's calling you to borrow from your worth for the sake of your refugee neighbors or co-workers. Maybe he's asking you to borrow from your worth so you might give a girl on the street her worth back. See, in the kingdom of God, all of these are non-negotiable. And so we, as the kingdom of God, might be called to different injustices, but collectively we are all accountable to fight against them together. At this time, I want to invite Deb Ellinger to come up on stage, and she's going to share a little bit of her story and her heart for justice. Deb Ellinger works in our children's ministry. Deb works in our children's ministry, leading our large groups for all of our elementary age. But not only that, she is a powerful and a courageous and an incredible leader, not only in this place, but she also started a nonprofit by the name of Ellie's House. And so she leads teams on the streets of Detroit fighting against human trafficking. Um, and it's an honor to call her my friend, to work with her, and to hear her heart for justice. And so she's going to share um, a word with you. Thanks, RJ. So the word justice, making wrongness into rightness making something right. And like RJ said, justice happens when we borrow from our own worth for the sake of someone who's lost theirs. So when we got started with Ellie's House, we found a verse in Proverbs that really summed up the why behind what we do, and I want to share that with you right now. It's from Proverbs 31, 8 through 9. Speak up for the people who have no voice, for the rights of the down and outers. Speak out for justice, stand up for the poor and destitute. This for us has never been a left or right thing. This for us has never been about politics. It's about loving people that so desperately need it. When we first got started, our mission and our vision was to help and serve and love on women who were um, in forced prostitution or being trafficked on the streets of Detroit. Um, that was where we felt equipped. That's where we felt called until one day God brought a man into our life by the name of Sarge. 
And so we knew about Sarge on the street. Just from talking and interacting with people, we knew that he was very much in charge on the street. He had a voice on the street. When he talked, people listened. Um, he was somewhat feared. He was a drug dealer. Those were basically the things that we knew about him on the street. Everybody knew him, which meant our team needed to get to know him. So we would always search him out and try to find him so we could build relationship with him, we could have interactions with him, and that's exactly what we did. We built a relationship with him. So we would have conversations, we would talk about, he would tell us about survival on the street, he had shared many things about us, but some interesting things I learned is that he was in the military, um, he really loved people, he had a big heart, he was extremely bright and really hardworking. He just found himself trapped in a life of homelessness and addiction. We loved our time we spent with him. Our team wanted to get to know him more. I mean, when you would talk to him, you were so involved in the conversation. He made you feel so special when you were talking to him. About August 2019, we lost a dear friend on the street by the name of Kayla. And a couple days shortly after that, Sarge called me. I give out my phone number to everybody on the street. So the same number you guys would have for me, I give to people on the street. And he had called me and asked if we could meet. And I said, sure. So we met him um, in front of an abandoned house and a church on the streets of Detroit. And I believe that's where we really learned about who the real Sarge Reginald Woodward was. He was vulnerable. By his own admission, he was broken. He was ready to get help. His eyes were tired full of tears from the loss that he had just experienced from our friend. And he was ready to right his wrongs. He was really ready to do that. And there were a lot of things he had to clear up. Being on the street for so many years, he had made poor choices that led to arrests, loss of family, friends, sickness, addiction, depression, no employment, no housing. And the list can go on and on and on. But Sarge wanted to, to make his wrongs right. And he asked us to help. We were not going to turn that down. We were not going to turn down an opportunity to love somebody that God had created in his image. We were not going to turn away from that second chance. Because if you think about it, we all get second chances. Every single one of us in here gets second chances because of God's great love and mercy. So who are we to decide that because we were not going to help and serve women that we wouldn't help and serve him. So we decided we were going to navigate the process with him. And that's exactly what we've been doing for 13 months now. So here we are 13 months later, almost 14. He is drug free. He has a house. He has a car. It's a driver's license. He cleaned up all of his arrest warrants. He loves Jesus. And he does life with our family. And by doing life, yeah, that's... And when I say doing life with our family, like he's at our house, he comes to our graduation parties, like we have invested in him because we love him and he's worth it. He's worth it because Jesus says he's worth it. Justice is not, an, a, not a project, it's an investment. It's an investment in people, in community, and ultimately love. The other thing about justice is that it's risky. It will cost you something. It costs Jesus something. But let me remind you of this. Jesus is the ultimate deliverer of justice. And not primarily in handing out the consequence, but in making wrong right. And using his worth to restore ours and others. 
The cross shows how angry Jesus is about injustice. The cross shows how God feels about what breaks my heart on the street. He's angered by injustice in our world that he can't help but do something about it. He can't help but putting himself on the line to bring justice and righteousness to people who've been robbed of it. Do you know how God feels about the abuse, about the woman who was sold, about the black man that was shot for absolutely no reason, about the babies who were never born, about the woman who was raped? Look at the cross. Jesus is fighting back and he will never quit fighting back because you're worth it. These women are worth it. These men are worth it. And maybe for some of you, the way he's going to continue the fight is by calling you to be a fighter. It might be something completely out of your comfort zone. He may be calling you to do something that you do not feel prepared to do at all. But if he calls you to do it, trust me, he will equip you to get the job done. Whatever it is, I would ask that you would just hear and listen to what God is telling you to stand up for. Who can you stand up for that doesn't have a voice? who has lost their worth, that you can exchange your worth for them. If you guys could join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we lift up all those in our world, those who are suffering from injustice because of abuse, poverty, race, for those fighting the injustices of the world, for those tempted to violence, for those deprived of reasonable health and educational resources, from those suffering from hunger, for those too weak to speak up for themselves, who have no one else to help them or no voice to speak for them. We pray for all of those affected by injustice and we pray that we would be obedient to the call that you give each and every one of us to exchange our worth, borrow from our worth, to stand up and have a voice for someone who does not. It's in your son's name we ask this, amen.